Baptist Bible College in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and we're very excited to be with you all tonight. Uh, we're going to do a couple introductions so you can get to know who we are. Um, as our summer sponsors, we do have the Blythe, Brother Blythe teaches in the Bible department there at the college, and then Miss Barbara uh, is, is a secretary there. And then we have the Mast who flew in a couple days ago, and they're going to take over uh, as sponsors for a little bit, and Brother Mast is the, the music chairman there at the college, and then Miss Elizabeth is the secretary there in the, in the music department. In the back, we have Chad Hainline. Uh, he's our sound man, and he is a third-year missions major from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And at the piano, we have Cameron Smutzler, and he's a third-year missions major as well from Overland Park, Kansas. And my name is Kelly Hamilton. I'm a fourth-year church education major from Morris, Oklahoma. And my name is Hannah Owen, and I'm a third-year church education major from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. My name is Jamie Smith. I'm a third-year church education and youth major from Inglewood, Colorado.
that kind of music. Amen. And so let's stand together 362. There is power in the blood as we get started tonight. Would you be free from the burden of of being assembled together in your name. We thank you for the privilege of being able to host a singing group from Heartland. And Lord, we're just thankful for the part and the place that Heartland Baptist Bible College has in the ministry of this church, in the history of our church, and in the lives of many of the people right here tonight. Lord, we just ask that you would allow us to rejoice in the beautiful music. We pray that you'd empower Brother Blythe as he preaches to us tonight. And, Lord, that truly we would be able to leave closer to you than when we came. We ask you to work in our hearts, Lord, that we may live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And take just a moment. Uh, ladies, our normal ladies' meeting would be tomorrow night, but we're going to move that uh, back uh Actually, what we're going to do is, how many of you remember that uh, Brother 
Uh, Davison is going to be with us July 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th. And uh, one of the things we want to try to do this summer is get into more church-wide fellowships. And so that Saturday, when uh, Brother Davison is with us, can we uh, do another church-wide dinner? Uh, an international, well, it's going to be international if it's here. Amen? And uh, I, uh, Brother Davison, I know he's done a lot of things, but he's not had one of those here. And uh, it will be different. And so... Uh, we, we want to do that and, and be a thrill, and we've got a good group of pastors that are coming in for the uh, missions refresher course, so I want you to keep that in prayer. And the new worker schedules uh, went, went in the mail today, so you should have them tomorrow the next day. And uh, if there's any problems, get with me right away so we can get that taken care of. If you want to take the music home, uh, we don't sell things from the church uh, very often, that kind of thing. We're not here to merchandise, but how many of you have enough good music in your home? Okay, one, two, you have. You don't need any more. Oh, no, said, oh, no, 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 we still do. Well, you can get it right out there at, at the Heartland table, and there's also some great preaching tapes don't listen to the cable network. If you need preaching that bad, there's what you got about 25, 30 hours of preaching out there. Uh, it'll it'll take you a while to go through all those uh, CDs. Amen. By that time, the group will be back and we'll get some more. So uh, we're going to have them come and sing uh, another package of music. If you were a little late, you missed the first two songs. That second song, uh, that's always encouraged me. How many of you have been just a little under the weather since we've had all this rain and everything? And it's hard to, sometimes it's just hard to remember that God's still in control. Amen? And He will make it work if you'll get out of His way. And uh, that's, that's what we want. And let's sing one more song here, 650. Stand with me if you would. And then we'll have assurance come back as soon as we're done. They'll sing several songs. And then Brother Blythe, as soon as assurance is done, uh, the pulpit is yours. And uh, our cordless mic is in the repair shop. So this is all you got. You'll have to stand still. All right. Here we go. 650. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb.
Amen. What a powerful song. I can go in, nothing, nothing that I can do. Prophets, martyrs, they don't go in on those merits. We go in by the blood of Jesus Christ. I can go in on that. Praise the Lord. We thank you so much for the privilege of allowing us to be here. And thank you, Pastor Montoro. And it's wonderful to be back. I, I had the privilege of being here last year as part of the church planning conference or the class that Heartland conducts and that Pastor sponsors here. And uh, it was my first trip to see this work and to see what God has done here and hear the story of this church. And then uh, last summer I thought I would really love to be able to bring my family back here and see this. And little did I know God would allow us that opportunity this year to do so. And it's just, uh, we're just overjoyed to be here. Thank you for all your kindness and uh, how you've allowed us to have a couple days of respite and see the city and, and uh, some of the other things and the good fellowship that we've enjoyed. And we look forward to meeting each and every one of you after the service tonight. And uh, thank you again for all your kindness. I want to get right into the preaching of God's Word tonight. If you happen to have your Bible, turn to the book of Luke with me and stand out of respect for the Word of God. Luke in chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I'm going to begin reading at verse 25. To the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25. And there went a great multitude with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now you're going to see that phrase repeated three times. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh again against him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege to stand behind the pulpit tonight. And Lord, I just ask that you would uh, give me clarity of thought and of speech and help me to communicate the things that you've laid upon my heart from this passage. Lord, that might be an encouragement and help to this people. Now, Father, we pray that everything that's done here tonight would be for your glory. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God would just work and, and speak to our hearts. And if there be a decision here tonight that needs to be made, may we be humble enough to respond to the leading of thy spirit. And God, we just thank you now and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Here in Luke chapter 14, you're going to find a couple of divisions here, beginning at verse 15 through 24. You find a parable that Jesus told there that's, that precedes the verses I read and you're hearing a moment ago that basically is a parable that expresses the compelling invitation that God gives for people to come to Christ for salvation. But then as we come to the verses that I read and you're hearing, verses 25 through 35, these verses here are teaching or cautions, I guess you could say, to followers to consider carefully the, false, the cost of full commitment to Christ in a life of service. In other words, what it's going to cost you to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word disciple means literally a learner, a pupil. It's a very specific word with a very specific connotation as it refers to one who is an adherent to the instruction given by another and makes the teaching of that instructor the rule of his conduct. In other words, a true disciple is one who's committed not only to listen to that which the master is telling them, but they're committed to heed and obey and do the things the master has told them to do. So I want to ask you a question tonight as we begin. Would you say that you're truly committed in your relationship with Christ to the point where you're not content just to say, I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven tonight, 
But you're ready to say, Lord, whatever it is that you would have me to do, I'm ready to do. When you get to that point, you're coming to the place where you're ready to be a true disciple. Does the word disciple describes you? And so I want to read a testimony here from a young lady that once she realized what it meant to be a true disciple, she understood she was not where she needed to be in that. Here's what she writes. I had many idols. I wasn't willing to face the ridicule of my office associates or even of my own relatives. I also belonged to several worldly clubs and kept associations that a true Christian should not keep. But the fact is, I still loved the friendship of the worldly people whom I was certain would scorn me if I were to live as a true Christian should. I loved too well the good things of the world, like clothes and current fashions, even if in my heart I knew that this was not pleasing to my Savior. Finally, I realized I was actually being unfaithful to my Lord. I was not in a committed relationship with Jesus. I lived for Him when it served me, and just as quickly put him away when it did not. I know that I have not been a real disciple. Then she talks about the commitment she made. So with God's help and renewed commitment to my Savior, I'm going to burn my bridges with the world and tear every idol from my heart and from henceforth be a true disciple of Christ. Now I believe the testimony of that young lady could be a testimony of many. And the thing that she came to realize as as, as a truly born-again believer, as a saved individual, that she recognized that her life was not fully complete. She knew that there was something missing, lest she gave her full commitment to the Lord as a disciple. This woman never knew real satisfaction in her life till she burned her bridges, so to speak, and became that committed disciple to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so tonight, I want to preach to you a message I've entitled, Discipleship 101. Regardless of how meaningless your life might seem right now, if you're willing to burn some bridges, if you're willing to commit living for Christ instead of self, I believe that God can renew you tonight with a new sense of purpose. I believe He can give you a new sense of satisfaction. I believe He can give you a, a new a sense of joy in your heart. But what does it mean to be a true disciple? How does one burn the bridges with their past and commit to being that? Well, I want to invite you to a class tonight. It's Discipleship 101. It's a class that Jesus taught. And we have the privilege, via His Word, to sit in and see what He taught those in this particular class. And I'm going to do my best to recreate the message for you, so to speak. And so if you want to be a true disciple, this is the kind of commitment a true disciple must be willing to make. I want to begin with my first point tonight is this. A true disciple knows that there's a prerequisite to acknowledge. Now, when I say that prerequisite, we find that Jesus is going to give some pretty demanding prerequisites pertaining to those who would desire to be disciples. And he was letting people know right off the bat that discipleship is not cheap. Discipleship is going to cost you something. I believe tonight there's a difference just between being saved and being a disciple. Some would equate two of the same different things, but I believe there's a difference here because of the way they're outlined in this passage, one dealing with salvation in the first part, and the second dealing with these parables, I should say, one dealing with salvation, the other dealing with discipleship. And so it costs something, and the ultimate commitment one can make. And he was wanting to make people certain and understanding the fact that if they want to be a disciple, they couldn't just claim that name. There were some things they had to live up to. And so Jesus doesn't preach some sugar-coated, ear-tickling message. He's looking for people that are hungry to join a cause. He's looking for people that understand that this life is about living not for yourself, but for living something greater than yourself. And there's great rewards and there's great requirements. And so Jesus makes a distinction between salvation in verses 16 through 24 and discipleship in the verses that we're studying here tonight. So we must be willing to acknowledge at least two prerequisites. What are they? Well, first is the prerequisite to personal discipleship involves a supreme devotion to the Lord. Look at verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, let's keep in mind that a disciple of Christ is entrusted with a mission and, and to take the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. And then we're to communicate the teachings of Christ to those that we've won. And we're supposed to disciple them in such a way so that they might go forth and perpetuate the gospel. And the program just continues on. We teach others so that they can lead others to Christ and they teach others. Now, the cross and the desperate needs of the world, they're upon the heart of the Lord as he's sharing this message. Jesus knew that he must have followers 
who were going to be willing to sacrifice themselves wholeheartedly and totally to him. He couldn't have second best. And so he's making it clear, what are the real requirements if you're going to be my disciple? And he lets them know that real discipleship requires supreme devotion to the Lord. Jesus must be the priority relationship of the disciple's life. Jesus does not mean that we literally hate our parents. He doesn't mean that you literally hate your wife or your children and other members of the family. That would be contradictory. Because Jesus said this in John chapter 13, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, and that's what we're talking about here tonight, if you love one another. So for him to say in one sense, you've got to love everybody to be my disciple, and then later on to say, you've got to hate your parents, and you've got to hate your family, and you've got to hate this thing to be my disciple, those things don't jive up. So what's this idea of hating? What's he mean? Well, often we think of hating as implying ill will towards something or some, some person or something. For instance, I hate broccoli tonight. I, I, I hate it. And that means you know right away what I mean by that. I just don't like it. I don't want anything to do with it. It smells gross. It's sickening to me. I hate it. It makes me sick. And, but that's not the kind of hate we're talking about here. The word hate here means literally uh, the showing preference. It's not giving high regard. So it's a word that provides a strong contrast to love. And so in the strongest degree possible, Jesus is seeking merely to illustrate that we're to place our love for him and have a regard in our heart and our love for him that's higher than that even that we have for our immediate family and friends and things of this world. And so Christ is not saying we're to literally hate our family, but when it comes to loving God, Christ must be first, sometimes even before the family. Christ is to be first even if family opposes that which Christ wants us to do. Christ must be first even before the companionship and comfort of home. As a way to illustrate this, since we're in the Gospel of Luke, turn back to chapter 9 for just a moment. Luke in chapter 9. And in Luke chapter 9... Look at beginning at verse 57. I think you'll find an illustration of what I'm talking about here. And it came to pass that as they went into the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now look at verse 59. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. What Jesus meant there is let the, let the uh, spiritually dead go bury their physically dead, but you go and preach the gospel. Then look at verse 61. Another said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, in some of the parallel passages, this man says, What must I do to be your disciple? And so, notice the, the, the me first that I emphasize in verse 39, 59 and also in verse 61. Me first. And I have written in my Bible, Me first can never work. It must be God first. And that's what I'm talking about, the supreme devotion that we must have. So as we go back to Luke chapter 14, we look at this and we see that this prerequisite to personal discipleship involves supreme devotion to the Lord. It can no longer be me first. It has to be God first. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 28, then Peter began to say to them, Lo, we, lo, we have left all and have followed thee. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul wrote, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. So tonight are you ready to say, God first. Christ first. No longer me first, because that's so easy to do. You can be saved tonight and me first and not really be the disciple that you need to be. That prerequisite to personal discipleship involves supreme devotion to the Lord. Notice also as we continue on, look at verse 27. We find the prerequisite to personal discipleship involves sacrificial death for the Lord. It says, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, when Jesus speaks of a true disciple as one who's going to bear his cross, the cross means 
daily identification with Christ in, in the shame and the suffering and the surrender and to God's will. And all those things Christ identified with when he went to the cross. When Christ went to the cross for us, it required a personal self-death. Now, we can't physically die on the cross as Jesus did, but we're talking about crucifying our flesh. We're talking about crucifying our inner desires and the things that we might want to do. And crucifixion on the cross, very painful ordeal. In like manner, every Christian is to count himself crucified tonight with Christ in order that we might live a life more yielded to God. This is what Paul wrote in Galatians 2 and verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so when we're crucified with Christ, it means we're dying to our old life. Just as crucifixion can be a very painful experience, dying to our old life and dying to our old habits, dying to our old ways, dying to our old things that we might want to do, that can be a very painful experience. And there's a lot of Christians that, quite frankly, they don't want to go that route. They're content to simply say, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, that's good enough for me, none of this self-denial things, I'll just be content to live where I'm at. But you can never be the disciple God wants you to be if that's going to be your perspective. And so uh, Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And uh, for some, that's exactly what's holding them back. And when Jesus came and he went to the cross, he gave up his life. We've got to be will willing to do the same. When you give up your life, you're willing to endure shame. When you give up your life, that's when you're willing to endure the embarrassment or the reproach or the rejection or the persecution or even martyrdom for the cause of Jesus Christ. Today we had the privilege of going out to the uh, subway stations and just handing out some gospel tracts. Very simple and easy thing to do. I hope many of you keep some gospel tracts in your pockets and ladies keep them in your purses. And as you have opportunity, give someone a gospel tract and just tell them, I've got some good news for you. Very easy thing to do. But you realize the number of Christians tonight that are intimidated to do that. They feel, I'm embarrassed. What if they laugh at me? What if they say no? What if they speak mean to me? Why do they have those feelings? Because they're not dead to self yet. They're still too worried about their feelings. And when people reject you, they're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting your Savior. And you can't personalize it. You've got to recognize it's about Jesus Christ. It's not about me. And so the cross, that's that instrument of execution. It's a symbol of death. It's a symbol of torture. It's a place where the ultimate price is paid in the giving up of a life. Paul said, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. And that's what it takes. Every single day as you get up, you've got to die that day to the old flesh. Die to the old nature. Die to the old way. Every single day as you wake up, you've got to say, no longer is that going to rule and reign with me. I'm going to live a yielded life to the Lord Jesus Christ and let him have his way. And so, quite frankly, though, as I've said, that's a, a price that many are not willing to pay. And as Jesus teaches, there's, there's a distinction, I believe, between a salvation and discipleship. Salvation is free. It's open to all who will believe on Jesus Christ that he's the way and he's the truth and he's the life. If they'll believe the simple gospel about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they can have the free gift of salvation tonight. But discipleship, that's going to cost you a little bit. That means carrying the cross and following Jesus. And Jesus wants as many sinners saved tonight as possible, but he's a bit more picky as who gets that distinction of being a true disciple. Discipleship is serious business because if we're not true disciples, we might be saved but unavailable for the use by the Lord in helping to win the loss. And so now we've seen a true disciple knows that there's a prerequisite to acknowledge. Now, second point tonight. A true disciple knows that there's a price to accept. Now, the rest of our passage consists of three parables that help to explain why such costly demands are made and uh, put upon his followers. Two of these parables show us something about the importance of counting the cost and being committed to Christ. And many start to follow Christ, but they don't really sit down to count the cost of what it means to really follow him, to really be committed to him. And so they fall away because they didn't consider how demanding it is to really be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we learn from these parables at least two things about the price of discipleship. We must consider the price of true discipleship. Look at verse 28 through 30. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? 
lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Now, we've just seen the cost of being a true disciple. And uh, supreme devotion, Lord, is required as, as well as some, self, some self-death, some, some uh, death to the old life. And having stated that, he tells a parable that causes us to consider the price of true discipleship. And that which costs us nothing, we're going to esteem very little. That which costs us nothing is really worth nothing. In addition, there's nothing worse than a foundation without a building. But without true discipleship, that's all there's going to be. And for that reason, Jesus tells the story of this man who goes to build a tower. He sits down to think about the project. He sits down to think, what's this going to cost me? And he doesn't want to start building and uh, then realize he can't finish or else he's going to get mocked and he's going to have to experience some shame before others. The point is simply this. As a Christian... Have you considered tonight what it's going to cost you to be the true disciple? Have you considered what it's going to mean simply to have a foundation of salvation in Christ? And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about that. There's a foundation. The Lord Jesus Christ, the moment you accept Jesus as your Savior, you've got that foundation. But then upon that, you begin to build a framework, a testimony of your life. What is the testimony of your life tonight that you're building upon that foundation? It's sad to think that there'll be some people that that's all they have. A testimony of I'm saved and that was good enough for me. And now you're going to have to give an account before the Lord one day of the things done in this body, whether they're good, whether they're bad. And once that foundation is laid, we've got to start building upon that. And it takes devotion unto the Lord. It takes denial of self. But the end result's going to be worth it. Cost what it may, it will be worth the cost. And so we've got to consider the price of true discipleship tonight. But then also we must consider the price of... Uh, uh, I mentioned first here we must consider the cost Uh, Consider the price of true discipleship. We must commit to the price of true discipleship is the next point of this. Commit to it. Look at verse 31 through 33. We see the commitment. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise... Whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now, the parable is about these two kings that are at war. And the king being attacked had only 10,000 soldiers. He comes to find out that the king that's marching against him has 20,000. So that king that has 10,000, he has to sit down and he has to think about his resources. And he has to think about what's going to happen. Do I really want to commit myself to this battle where I'm already going to be uh, undermanned here? Now, here's the thing. The king, like each of you, had to make a decision. He had to decide whether or not he would fight against a more powerful king or whether he would surrender to that powerful king. And in like manner, you and I have to decide, am I going to fight against what Christ is leading me to do tonight or am I going to surrender to him in every area of my life, every, every area of his word, every area of his will, every area of his way? Each of you have to make that decision. And there's consequences. Have you considered that? The wise choice, if you want the hope of any kind of a real life and and joy and blessing, is that choice of surrender. And once you realize that truth and you commit to that truth, uh, that's when you find the blessing and the peace that God has for it. Earlier, Jesus said in Luke 9, 24, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. The point, commit to surrender to Christ. Give up living your life day after day the way that you want. I bet right now the Holy Spirit of God may be bringing to your mind some things where you have some selfish tendencies. You might have a portion of your heart given to God, but you have this area of your heart where you keep back for yourself. There's something you're stubbornly holding on to, something you're refusing to get up, and the Holy Spirit of God's been knocking on the door of your heart for months, weeks, for a long time, trying to tell you, give me the full commitment of your heart. That's what I need from you if I can use you and bless you. Paul urged all the Christians do the same in Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So if a man is to be a true disciple, it's going to cost him all that he is. It's going to cost him all that he has. And we must consider and commit to that wholeheartedly. But one also needs to consider the consequences of fighting against Christ. Now, we see tonight a true disciple knows 
there's a prerequisite to acknowledge. We've seen there's a, a true disciple knows that there's a price to accept. Thirdly and finally tonight, a true disciple knows there's a problem to avoid. As Jesus brings this lesson on what true discipleship is all about to a close, he brings one more parable. Now, he's told them about a man that's building a tower. He's told them about a, a king that's going to be fighting a war. But now he's going to use, utilize the picture of salt that's lost its savor. As with other short parables Jesus told, the, the, this point relates to being a disciple. But this time it has to do with a problem that every true disciple needs to be aware of and seek to avoid. What are these two problems? Here's what they are. A disciple can become personally defiled for service by the world. Look at what it says in verse 34. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? To understand this, we need to remember that this is not the first time that Jesus referred to salt in relation to a disciple. The first occasion was back in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor... Wherewith shall it be salted? So salt, as you're already aware, is, is used to season. It's used to preserve food. But in the days before modern refrigeration, salt was a very valuable commodity. And in regard to being a disciple for Christ, like salt, we can have a preserving influence on our society. We can help uh, prevent the corruptive influence of sin as we win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not in any way saying that we're going to oh, eradicate evil by winning people to Christ. And we already know uh, the evil is going to get worse and worse and worse. But every time you win somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ, every time somebody hears the gospel, repents, and calls upon Christ, that's someone that translates from the devil's kingdom to God's kingdom. Amen? And in that, that individual then has the uh, opportunity to be an influence, a light in their community, and act as salt. And so that's what the Bible is referring to. But the problem Jesus wants the disciple to avoid is this. Salt. Can become, can, can become contaminated. It can lose its preserving and seasoning effect. Salt can become, can become defiled. It can become good for nothing. And so spiritually speaking, this is a picture of the defiling influence that the world can have upon the disciple. We're warned several times in the Bible about the dangers of becoming ensnared by worldliness. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. I want you to imagine tonight there's a ship that's floating in the water. And the ship is in the water, but it's not of the water. But as soon as too much water gets into that ship, guess what happens? The ship begins to sink. And in like manner, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And if we allow too much of the world into us, spiritually speaking, we're going to begin to sink. We're going to become defiled and useless as disciples. And therefore, we must be aware that a disciple can become personally defiled for service by the world. And then lastly tonight, a disciple can become permanently disqualified for service by the world as a result of the world's influence. Look at what happens in verse 35. When the salt has lost its savor, it is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So keep in mind, verse 35, as this closes out, it's a continuation of the salt principle. And the point Jesus is making is that once that salt becomes defiled, it loses its ability to preserve in season. And once salt is defiled, it loses its saltiness, it loses its value, it eventually becomes useless and eventually, it's fit for nothing. It's good for nothing. It's cast out. In Matthew chapter 13, it says specifically, it is thenceforth good for nothing. And so, a Christian, you cannot lose your soul tonight, but let me say this, you can lose your savor. You can't lose your soul, but you can lose your saltiness. And so that's what happened to a man by the name of Demas. Demas was once a faithful disciple. In Philemon chapter 1 and verse 24, Paul refers to Demas as a fellow laborer. There's another time that Paul refers to Demas as profitable and useful for him in his endeavors. But all of a sudden we find these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And unfortunately, that's what could be said about more than one potential disciple for the Lord Jesus Christ. They, didn't, they forgot the fact that they're to be in the world but not of the world. And they didn't guard themselves. And they allowed too much of the worldly influence into them. And before long, they sunk. And they became unprofitable. They became good for nothing. Someone once wrote this about being merely a believer in Christ versus a disciple for Christ. Read this quote. 
To believe costs nothing. To follow Christ is expensive. I believe in Christ's work for me, but discipleship is a result of Christ's work in me. Believers consider themselves first. Disciples consider Christ first. Believers have a foundation in Christ. Disciples have built a testimony of service for God on top of that salvation. Belief saves my soul, but discipleship glorifies Christ through my life. Believers go to heaven, but disciples are richly rewarded when they get there. So I want to ask you again tonight as we close. Which are you? Are you a believer or are you a disciple? Are you saved and going to heaven tonight or, and that's good enough for you? Or have you given a full measure of your devotion and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and endeavoring to be the disciple that you need to be? Now listen, Jesus loves a believer and a disciple equally, but he rewards them differently. No way am I trying to say tonight that one is loved by God more than the other. God loves everybody equally in that sense, whether you're just saved and on your way to heaven or endeavoring to be the disciple, but they're going to be rewarded differently. And so Jesus has just taught discipleship 101. And in this class, there are three main truths to digest. A true disciple knows there's a prerequisite to acknowledge. Being a disciple involves supreme devotion to the Lord and sacrificial death for the Lord. A true disciple knows there's a price to accept. A disciple must consider the cost of following Jesus and commit to that cost. And then we learn a true disciple knows there's a problem to avoid. See, salt can become contaminated. A true disciple is to be the salt of the earth. And therefore, uh, we, can be, uh, we can be personally uh, defiled for our service by the, Lord, by the world. And if we're not careful, we can become permanently disqualified because of the world. So I want to ask you, are you a true disciple or just a believer? There's a difference tonight. Are you ready to know the real purpose for your life as a Christian? Or then commit right now to becoming the disciple. It costs us much, but the reward is great. And the only regret of a real Christian on their deathbed is the fact that they did, got, did not give more to Jesus. I doubt anybody laid on their deathbed and thought uh, anything less than that. I wish I'd have given him more. I believe that's something every single one of us will say. And when eternity comes into view, the cost of following Christ wholeheartedly, as a, as a committed disciple, it'll be worth everything that we ever had to give up. Hearing truth is a choice that you and I must make. And I hope that if God has touched your heart regarding the truths found within this passage tonight, you, if you find yourself falling short of what it is to be the true disciple God wants us to be, you'll make that commitment tonight and give Him the full measure of devotion that He deserves from our heart. Are you ready now to make that commitment to become a true disciple? Let's all stand together and prepare to have a word of prayer as we close the service tonight. With their heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want to read this thought again to you. This testimony. I had so many idols. I wasn't willing to face the ridicule of my office associates or even of my own relatives. I also belonged to several worldly clubs and kept associations that a true Christian should not keep. But the fact is, I still love the friendship of the worldly people whom I was certain would scorn me if I were to live as a true Christian should. Can you relate to that in any fashion tonight? I love too well the good things of the world like the clothes and current fashions, even if in my heart I knew this was not pleasing to my Savior. Could there be something tonight that in your heart of hearts you know is not pleasing to the Savior? And of course, you know how that testimony ended up. With God's help and a renewed commitment to the Savior, that individual burned the bridges, so to speak, and became a true disciple of Jesus Christ. What about you tonight? Is that something you need to do? Heavenly Father, I pray that as we gather here tonight and we've heard this message preached and something related to what I like to just call Discipleship 101, very basic discipleship, I pray, Heavenly Father, that if tonight you've spoken to our hearts, there might be somebody here tonight that says, I need to give the Lord more of my commitment, more of my devotion. There's an area of my life that I've been holding back completely for the Lord. I want to be that disciple. I know it's going to cost me something, but I know the rewards are great. In light of all that Christ has done for me, the least I can do is give Him the full measure of my devotion and seek to be a true disciple for Him. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we have this time of invitation, your will and way be accomplished. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor, would you go? We'll have the piano begin to play. A song most of us should know well, Take My Life and My
doors open. Let's slip out right now without singing.